The Evoke is Paul, quick Lower Hour. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Lower Hour Podcast. I'm David Smith and I'm joined today by Marty Gillespie, Oren Fitzpatrick and Franny Walsh. Welcome lads. Uh, today we're going to be discussing our, our first classic of Season 2, which is The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. For all that, Franny, you look way hung over there. I don't want to be... Uh, too harsh on you, but can you struggling? <laughs> struggling a little bit. Uh, yeah, we had people over to the house here last night drinking a bit of wine, so I have definitely had fresher Saturday mornings. But uh, I won't complain. Onwards and upwards. See, I, I hopefully get my next shot of vaccine next weekend, so after that, I'll actually be able to rejoin society as a as a normal person, have a few points again, which would be nice. That's the crack now. Not much else. Kind of trying to. Going to try and keep it relatively healthy now for the rest of the weekend. Maybe go out and walk the dog and read a few books and not do that and that. How are the preparations coming on for Canada? Grand, yeah. Uh-huh. Tipping kind of more or less set up, I suppose, really. I haven't, well, no, actually, no, I, have lie, I haven't booked a flight yet, so that would probably be the main thing. But, uh, yeah, just I kind of have everything else in place. Yeah, hoping to go now on the 8th of November or the 15th of November, depending on which one is uh, cheaper in terms of flights. Surely to take the podcast to three continents, so we can say that. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, yeah that would be a... Uh, That'll be a nice little distinction, actually. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. International <laughs> book club. <huh? laughs> yeah, exactly. I was supposed, supposed to have um, a doubles match today, actually, but one of the opponents or whatever, poor fella, Torres Cruciate yesterday playing football. So tennis was cancelled, but um, it's a bit, of a bit of a damp day today and I'm nursing a bit of a head in myself as well. So... I'm not too disappointed with it. What were you at last night? Uh, <laughs> just watching The Great Gatsby and drinking wine. <laughs> An absolute culture vulture. <laughs> may as well may as well try and immerse myself, you know. Yeah. I actually finished off finished off with a wee whiskey as well. I remember I remember actually watching the, the thirteen movie, two thousand thirteen movie and the Nick Carraway drinking a wee whiskey and I said, Oh, that was so cool. <laughs> Any plans for the rest of the weekend? Saturday morning with you, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, no real plans. Might get a bit of food or something later on the season, but pretty much just relax for the for the weekend. I'm, I'm wrecked after the week. Don't start into teacher things now, right? I'll say no. I am tired. Yeah, you're thinking better than that. Or in the I was just taking myself off mute there. <laughs> I, could see, I could see the two of you whining yourselves up there. You yeah. like, yeah, we'll, we'll swatting just away like that. We'll say we hey, well, you, you have a, you're sitting in your, your, your house the whole week. You yeah, haven't I mean, left it. I know. Well, that's unfortunately because I'm in isolation. So uh, one week into a two-week isolation. So glad for this podcast, to be honest, and the chance to talk to you. But Chance yeah. to abuse me, that's what you want. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, uh, yeah, hopefully I'm out of this uh, for next Friday, which is actually, things are opening up in Sydney for Monday, so it should be good timing for the first weekend. I think myself and Oren, the two BGs are lining up a haircut for the Saturday morning, so. Oren, how's your weekend? You went for a picnic today, I think, did you? Yeah, not bad. Um, so, along with every Sydney cider, it's just picnics non-stop. Part of our restrictions are you're allowed five people at a picnic, so all you can do. So just went down to the beach, had a couple of beers. But yeah, quiet. As you said, it's all it's all opening up next weekend. So I could see it descending into in, into a little bit of chaos, which should be a bit of crack, huh? 
Yeah, the calm before the storm. I'll have to say, you kept me going this week with cans delivery one day and then uh, a takeaway coffee outside my door this morning, so made isolation significantly easier. Yeah, so this is our first classic, as I mentioned, of season two. Uh, and we've, like we've said ourselves kind of privately and I suppose on the podcast, it's hard to kind of discuss classics and rate and review them for obvious reasons. But I'm just wondering, lads, like, is there any classics you've ever read that you think are absolutely shite? I'd say I've read Crime and, Crime and Punishment and the only punishment going on was me fucking reading it for about six months. <laughs> it was an absolute struggle. Yeah, like um, one that I couldn't really see what the fuss was about was The Old Man the Sea, you know, Hemings, Hemingway's one. Like, it was really short. It was great. You have it read in a day, whatever. But like, it's just a big a man catching a big fish. Like, you know... <laughs> I didn't really see the significance of it. Now, look, it probably went over my head, whatever it was. There was definitely some moral um, lesson to be taken from it. Like, don't give up or follow your dreams. But, like, it's a big, big fucking fish, like, you know. Isn't the Grand, Grand Canyon just a big hole in the ground, isn't it? <laughs> um, it just, like, I don't know. Did you, any of you read it? Like, did, did you like it? Like, what? <laughs> I actually didn't. I have to say, I, I've met, like, a lot of people have said the exact same to me as you, but I actually really liked it. I'd be interested to see if the lads have read it as well. I loved it. It was so lyrical and well-written, I thought. I actually read it when I was younger, and then I listened to it in Audible a couple of years ago, and, like, so orally pleasing. Uh, see, there's one, there's one interesting point about that book. It's, there's only one exclamation mark in it. The Martin is starting early, does he? <laughs> That that actually came from a, a Netflix show. You know that Explain series? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's basically a 20-minute episode on the history of the exclamation mark. And I thought it was very interesting. It is. Why don't you fucking watch that? You can say about a story about a man fishing and he watches a fucking 20-minute show on Netflix about exclamation marks. <laughs> <laughs> An enigma, to say the least. I, uh, I actually did read that book. Um, I'm probably somewhere in between the two um, definitely appreciated it, but maybe like Marty, I just wasn't maybe intelligent enough to, to fully get what the book was getting at or what was meant by it. Is that is that something you ever feel from um, classics that you're kind of, there should be more to this? So you're like, you're nearly reading into every single word that's being said or, you know, a character or something like that. You're, you're nearly overthinking of it, thinking it. Whereas you could read a book that was only released last week and you're like, oh, that wasn't great. Whereas it could be far more profound than, than some of the classics in ways. I, I, when I think about that kind of thing, like, or, you know, as you were saying, sometimes you do feel like either you're missing something or something is just going over your head. It reminds me of, do you ever see There Will Be Blood? You know that movie, Daniel Day-Lewis is in it? Like it's it's yeah. like often touted as best movie of the 21st century by like movie critics. I watched it and yes, I enjoyed it and I could probably pick out things that were good, you know, or what movie critics would probably say, yes, this is what is fantastic, but it still went over my head really, like, you know. What's not the love about a man with a cattle prod going around killing people? (laughs) That's no country for old men. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Thomas Anderson film, isn't it? It's the one about oil. Yeah. I've completely amalgamated those two movies in my head. As well, that one, that one movie. definitely went over your head then. <laughs> I 100% thought he was in that movie. Like, 
I did a I did a quick Google search there for overrated classics, and I actually have I have two that I read that I wasn't mad about. So the first one, I suppose, it's kind of unfair to include this, but Ulysses, because I tried to read this when I was I was only about eighteen or nineteen at the time, but it's fucking impossible. Like I don't know if any of you have tried it, but like you'd want to be you'd want to nearly have a degree in like Greek literature to get all the references and stuff that he's going on with, and like you know it doesn't use punctuation or like paragraphs or any of that crack. So, and the second one was I'm not sure if you read this, but Catch Twenty Two. Um, it's like this kind of, it's kind of this absurdist piss take on war, but it's, it was written in like the mid 1950s, I think, but it's just, it's very much, I suppose it's kind of like we were discussing just off air about something that was of its time and maybe it hadn't got a whole lot of similar material before it. And so it's probably considered a classic because it, it started off things like this, but it's just these really kind of, I don't know, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's just very kind of on the nose humor through the whole thing. And I found myself getting sick of that. Not the exact same about Catch-22. It batters over the head with this thing of like, a war is stupid basically and like just yeah. way out of it. And then I was like, is this going to go anywhere? And there's just these increasingly erratic and eccentric characters and stuff and I just struggle through it like it's very funny in like a couple of spots like there's a couple of lines that are like laugh out loud funny but I have it sitting on the bookshelf to read and I've started a couple of times and like put it down again and now I'm like oh fuck I'm just not gonna read it (laughs) you may do a Montag and burn it (laughs) maybe yeah speaking of Montag I uh that's another one I wasn't hugely gone on was Fahrenheit 451 I hadn't read it before we did it for the podcast last season like that getting through it and kind of being like I'm expecting to really enjoy this because of the whole kind of status around it but yeah it kind of it didn't do it to me the way other kind of dystopian novels had all right lads uh, I think we'll jump into the great Gatsby Marty, I think you're probably the only one of us who's read it for the first time for the podcast just now, so I'm intrigued to hear what you thought of it. Yeah, actually, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. As I was saying, you know, it was my first time reading it. You know, I've said before that kind of was on a hiatus of reading until my mid-twenties, so classics weren't on my radar. I was very wary going into this that, like, I'd seen the movie. I'd seen the movie in 2013, and... I didn't want that to colour my vision of it. And luckily it didn't. Like I know that there's fairly big, fairly big differences between them. I felt like the story was grand. Grand. Like I didn't it didn't didn't blow me away. But one thing I did really, really love was how it was written. Like the descriptions lads were outrageous. Like they were so, so vivid and it was so lyrical the whole way through the book. Like I really loved that. Really love that. The first time we're introduced to Gatsby, like I was, I actually, again, I'm kind of mixing between reading and audiobook. But the I was the first time we're introduced to Gatsby. I was on, I was, I was listening to it, and I actually had to. I was on the on the way to work, and I was when I got to work, I actually had to go onto my Kindle and go back and highlight a big speed of it. Like it, the the way he talks about. Gatsby smile like it was it's a full paragraph and it's just you can feel the he talks about you know the the reassure the reassuredness of the smile and you can really feel yourself sinking into that feeling that Nick felt like you know and I just I love that part of it I enjoyed it I yeah I would say it was grand <laughs> that's that's what I would say about the great Gatsby the grand Gatsby, grand Gatsby yeah <laughs> great lines think alike I, I love this book. It's up, it's up there, one of my favourites. It's a book that I could read a couple of times a year and not get sick of it. 
I think it's just that like short, concentrated brilliance. And um, like as Marty's described, like just the writing, the descriptions, everything is just so I, I think almost kind of perfect. I, th I think there's nothing wrong with a nice and a love story that ends in disaster to a certain extent. And I'm, I'm going out soft on you now. I think even the movie, the movie didn't detract for me. I, I really enjoyed that 2013 movie. Like I kind of, I see it as something different to the book, but I, I thought it added to it for me. Like I was like, I, I liked what, he, what Baz Luhrmann did with it. It's one of those, I just think it's, it's kind of as close perfection as I've, as I've read. As, as always, it's always nice to hear somebody else put it back down to size and can say, oh yeah, it was grand, but not great. Every time when I read it, I'm like, oh, this is unreal. Like every, every page, every word. I'm the same. Yeah, that's very similar to me. I think the first time I read it, I was in secondary school because I, I can't remember where I was, but my mom might have been into like Aldi or something um, and I was in the car and she actually had the book, like a really cool, like old copy of the book. And I, I just picked it up and started reading it. I was hooked, like I barely heard it come back to the car kind of thing. It's one of those books for me that there might be four or five of them that I've read in whatever, 28 years. You feel like you nearly carry with or carry in your head like that. It's so quotable for me or you know I can recall so much and so many passages and stuff that just like obviously stayed with me because they were so well written I felt it was probably my favorite of any classic I've read the one that lived up to the hype the most and probably in general it's in my top few favorite books yeah so like it was the fourth time I was reading this so the first time it was kind of like as we were saying you come to a book like this with a certain kind of expectation and I felt like I kind of didn't enjoy it then because I was expecting it to be so great. And like, as Marky was saying, it's not the most like groundbreaking story in the world. I think when you're a bit younger, you kind of focus on that more. So like, you might be expecting something really like emotionally hard hitting or like a load of twists or something. And like, it's not necessarily that for a younger reader. So the first time I, I suppose I didn't really get it. But then the second and third times I read it, and this time as well, I was left really like, I mean, it's the descriptions actually, I suppose, are kind of the main thing that I like about it. You know, as Marky was saying as well, it's, like you know the way he goes into detail on stuff and the way he describes stuff and you can really picture it it's it really is something else but even the characters as well i think you can identify with them very easily because like they kind of like they go through a lot of very human stuff and it's kind of themes of jealousy and kind of anger and bitterness and like loss and it's it's it comes from a like you know best century ago like as in when it's set but they are very you know transferable to the present day as well and there's something very relatable about all of them and also it's like, it's, it gets it gets across a very powerful and impactful story in just whatever it is, a hundred odd pages. And there's something to be said for that too, I think. You know, it's very concise and very to the point. And yeah, no, it is a great read. We said it with Animal Farm as well, for such concise books that they, go in, they delve into so much. Marty, what you said about Gatsby's smile as well, like I had that highlighted as well. I think this is the first time I read the book in the Kindle maybe, and it was in hard copy the rest of the times. Couldn't stop highlighting. Half the book highlighted, I think, on my Kindle. But yeah, like that's one paragraph by Gatsby Smile and you immediately know how charming he is, how you can get, like, get sucked into his whole persona. So I think it's interesting like, to talk about the characters and what we thought of them all. Or, and I might start with you, like, what did you think of Nick as the narrator? Like, Nick's kind of a funny character. He's more of a, an observer, I suppose, than central to the action. This is kind of one of my favourite parts of the book is how it's done sort of thing. Is it is it bold to say like there's an element of kind of voyeurism or something to him looking in at Gatsby and just kind of being part of a world that he's not really part of but it's kind of fallen into and he's kind of there for summer and his realization that none of it's real and it's all fake and Gatsby and all the glitz and glamour is all fake and I think it just makes the story so much more having it told through his eyes than if it was told through any in, in any other way. 
Yeah, I, I actually really like the kind of role he played. Like, I love how, you know, he was kind of like the moral centre ground of of the story. And, you know, it was interesting how, as you say, Orin, like he, he struggled with the whole fakeness or superficiality of the of the, the whole lifestyle of like like Gatsby and and then Tom and Daisy's like on an Easter egg and then the dreariness of the Wilsons kind of area, the Valley of Ashes, I think it is. But then he still can't resist it. Like he still he still wants to stay there. He's not he's not going back to the Midwest. Like he wants to stay in, in this life, you know, that's what one of the things I find really interesting about it. Uh, yeah, just I suppose as you were saying, um, like kind of the main thing that always struck me about him was his kind of passiveness in relation to the whole thing. Like, you know, and, and as Oren said, it's kind of key that you get it through that because I feel like a lot of the, the uh, with the other characters, there's a lot of perception in terms of how you judge them. Like there's kind of good and bad in them. If you had a narrator that was more inclined to cast versions on people, I think it probably wouldn't be as effective. So I think it's, it's probably important that he, in, in, like in a way, is a minor character, you know, despite the fact that he's the protagonist. Yeah, I suppose he's like the vessel that you view all the other characters through. Go back to what I said about how F. Scott Fitzgerald kind of says so much and so little. I think some of Nick's observations, especially early in the book, are so they're so impactful. Like I think he says after he first visits Tom and Daisy that he doesn't see why Daisy wouldn't like jump in the car with her child and just get out of there kind of thing. It was interesting, I thought, in the in the Lerman film. I know in the book he says he was only ever drunk twice in his life. And it was the second time, I think, was that day in, in with Daisy and Tom. But then in the Lerman film, I think he's a recovering alcoholic at the start of the film. And it was kind of, I suppose, emphasized more that obviously all these events that happened in the book had a very profound impact on him, which I suppose, I, it never kind of occurred to me that that would be the case. But obviously, you know, he, for someone who's nearly a passenger in the whole thing, he's obviously, he's been through a lot by the end of the book, you know, and it's kind of, I thought that, I thought that was an interesting line in the film or like a feature of the film that it kind of, it stressed that a bit more. The, of the five movies, that's the one where he's portrayed as like better and as you say, struggling with struggling with addiction to or alcoholism, sorry, essentially. But that was to reflect Fitzgerald himself, and there's a lot of Fitzgerald in Nick. Like you know, he moved from the Midwest himself, went to Ivy League, and stayed in stayed in the East. And a lot of it is a lot of his, a lot of Nick's views were Fitzgerald's views. But I think one of the reasons why Nick is portrayed as bitter and drunk in the 2013 film was to reflect more so on Fitzgerald. Yeah, that's really interesting, lads. I suppose we should move on to the titular character then, uh, Jay Gatsby himself. Marty, your first time reading the book, I might start with you. Like, What were your thoughts on Gatsby as you read the book? He's such an interesting character. Like, enigmatic, you know, for, um, for a long time, you kind of work him out. And I just, I thought it was so interesting. A lot of the whole messages from the book are portrayed through Gatsby you know I really I was really fascinated by you know his determination and persistence with Daisy and like the things like you know looking across the bay and just creating this whole facade in chase of of this one thing like this one dream and like it was kind of like Instagram versus reality like you know his world that he had created for show to you know lay in to deliver to Daisy for her to to love him but Daisy had a different reality to him everyone knows if if you haven't seen Great Gatsby if you haven't read Great Gatsby everyone knows Jay Gatsby everyone knows what what comes with it like you know and his portrayal in the book obviously lives up to that like you know everyone associates it with the glitz and the glamour and the 
the context that the book is written in as well. I think that's one of the legacies of the book. Obviously, this is my second time reading. I think the first time, I, I think I was in maybe second year of college and I got, you know, I kind of get swept away with the character that Gatsby was and, and all that, as, as, as Martin described. And what caught me this time was I nearly found them a little bit depressing through the wrong word. Just that I, the idea that he's just creating this complete facade to, to set up a life that he never will achieve sort of thing. And that's probably what the, <laughs> it kind of encapsulates the whole book. But um, I think Marty put it well when he was saying that Instagram versus reality. And I, I thought it was still, I don't know when, what year this book was written, but then all these years later, it's still as important um, a point now as it was then. Yeah, that's really interesting, Instagram versus reality thing. It actually does make a lot of sense. And even I really like the line where kind of it's towards the end of the book where he says about Gatsby, that he invented just the sort of Jay Gatsby that a 17-year-old boy would be likely to invent. And to this conception, he was faithful to the end. I thought that was really kind of powerful, just encapsulated him completely in one throwaway line. Similar to Oren in what he said and that, like when the second time I read this book, it was really the character of Gatsby that kind of stood out to me. And it was kind of how well it was, he was placed into it and how well he kind of developed. And like, he starts it off and like he builds the mystique so well around him. And he's just this mysterious sort of really rich and like influential and popular character. And then as Caraway gets close to him, then you kind of notice like that there's these little cracks and you kind of expose them so well. Like, you know, he's kind of, there's these little weaknesses in him and he's still so hung up on Daisy despite having everything in the world. He's just still so hung up on having her. And like, I think I thought he just developed it so well. And the, the contrast between the, the outward Jay Gatsby and like what he was actually like when you knew him and what he was like behind closed doors. Yeah, I suppose then, as Marty was saying, and as well, obviously that's so relevant today in terms of Instagram versus reality. And like, you know, 70 years on from Fitzgerald writing this book, we're still having, we're still like seeing probably the exact same thing in a lot of cases, you know. So yeah, there's definitely a, there's definitely a certain timelessness to him, all right. But but even the way, like even stylistically, the way he kind of does it, like the little the old sport and things like that, you know, the way he's just so jolly and he puts across this this kind of aura of just perfection. And the way as well, I think it was interesting the way his money came from bootlegging. Like you know, it was so like he came to this place of status and and stuff in the world, and he got it by illegally selling booze. Like it was kind of an interesting contrast there as well. I found him to be a bit of a an unhealthy character in a way. I don't know. There's something yeah very tragic about him. I think like it's almost childlike his obsession with trying to get back to the past and restoring the past. Like I love that line where I think Nick says you can't change the past, and he says of course you can. Like it's so naive. There's a great description of him that Nick gives as well, where he describes him as like a hopeless romantic. He had an extraordinary gift for hope, a romantic readiness such as I've never found in any other person, which is not likely I shall ever find again. And, but, and then Nick kind of says that it wasn't Gatsby that it was popular, it was what preyed on him, what foul dust floated in the wake of his dreams. Whereas, like, that's being pretty kind to Gatsby, I think, as, as views have kind of pointed out. But I, I find it very compelling. Like, I was rooting for him all along. And even now when I watch the film, like, I'm still kind of rooting for him. Probably because Tom is such a bollocks. I'm looking forward to chatting about Tom because it's kind of, as much as what Gatsby's doing is probably wrong and it's not something that should be put forward as a good idea, but Tom's is bigger bollocks, so uh, if not bigger, what's right, what's wrong, I guess. Yeah, what were your thoughts on Tom? Like, did you despise him? Had you any sympathy for him at all or in, as you were reading it or could you see his point of view on anything? I thought he was a bollock. <laughs> I, like, I, I thought he kind of just summed up the kind of privilege 
I think he was talking about some book. It's all very scientific. We're we're a more superior race, and I, I maybe it was more obvious. I kind of thought that was nearly just a throwaway comment in the book, but it was stuff like that what Tom I thought really kind of highlighted them as this just you know white superior male dominant race sort of just our soul could do what he wanted with whoever he wanted and you know everybody around him seemed to suffer and at the end of the day he rolled into the sunset and got free nothing happened to him and seemed seemed to be the way he has lived his life and will continue to live his life yeah and there's no consequences for him either he's one of those people i guess He's your typical Yale, Yale graduate, white privilege, racist, sexist. Like he breaks Myrtle's nose, he's violent. Funny enough, he's never once in the same room as his daughter for the whole book or anything. And like he's complete disregard. He only starts caring about Daisy and keeping her when it's apparent he might lose her to Gatsby. Like he's just got complete disdain and disrespect for everyone. Every time I read it, I've less and less regard for him. Not that I ever liked him, but he's a completely loathsome character in so many ways. I thought it was interesting if you think about it. Like, he's very apparently awful when we read it as, like, 21st century readers. But, like, it probably would have been a much more mainstream sort of thing. Like, the way he goes on the tirade about how, like, white people are superior and you know, the way he's physically violent with his wife and stuff. Well, maybe not that to the same extent. But, like, it's it was a much more skillful portrayal, I think, when you view it in the context of the fact that, like, that wouldn't have been half as unacceptable back when that book was written, you know? And it's interesting, too, like, that the view of his... The kind of public view of of Tom's character, how it's portrayed in the movies, like as the goes through the decades, it becomes more and more intolerable. Like you know, in the seventy four movie, like he is portrayed as a bollocks, yeah, but like nothing compared to how he's portrayed in the two thousand thirteen movie. You know, like it's like obviously in two thousand thirteen, we don't accept you know people like Tom. Or men like Tom, I suppose. Whereas in the, even in 74, it was kind of portrayed as wrong. But look, that kind of way, you know. I love the physical description of, of him even. Like that Nick gives where he says he had a cruel body. And he really makes him sound physically imposing. I think he had a line about his eyes where he said, there were two shining, arrogant eyes had established dominance over his face and gave him the appearance of always leaning aggressively forward. Like that's just so well written and just hits the nail on the head with him so early on in the book. I, I kind of think like Tom, like Gatsby's like trying to recapture the past of like when he was the big shot at school. Like that probably was when he was at Yale. He was a football player. That's when he was someone, whereas now he's just yearning for that in a similar way that Gatsby is. Yeah, I think that kind of comes across later on in the book. And he's introduced as the polo player and he's like, oh, I don't really like that. I'd rather be referred to as the athlete, you know, because of, I suppose, his football days or maybe just even the connotations of strength with athlete, I suppose, the man sitting on a horse. He seemed to, um, uh, Scott Fitzgerald I'm talking about now, he seems to use eyes throughout the book a lot as like powerful descriptors of characters, as of places, of emotions and feelings just don't to be there when you mention tongues. Because um, he describes it the same with Gatsby, isn't it? He's got those welcoming eyes or something like that that Johnny see. And then is it Dr. Eccleston with the right name there as well? Yeah, the eyes of God. The original cover is like deep blue and it just shows it's just two eyes and a mouth. Like it's not, it's that, those are the only features you see on it. And that was created before the novel was finished. And Fitzgerald actually changed little bits or wrote in little bits to fit the cover art. There's one bit in particular where, where Nick is describing Daisy and he's, he describes her as the girl whose disembodied face floated along dark cornices and blinding signs 
and so drew up the gear beside me. But that's that was that's pretty much a description of the front cover, and it was written after the cover was designed. I suppose we'll move on to then Tom's wife Daisy, who's obviously I suppose the catalyst for everything that Gatsby does, and she's Nick's cousin. She's probably as important a character as Gatsby in the story. F. Scott Fitzgerald conveys her so she's so alluring and so delightful. Like there's some of the descriptions are just incredible. Uh, like even Nick is kind of half in love with her, which I found is like a funny, but there's one description of her where it says, for a moment, the last sunshine fell with romantic affection upon her glowing face. Her voice compelled me forward breathlessly as I listened. Then the glow faded, each light deserting her with lingering regret, like children leaving a pleasant street at dusk. It was the kind of voice that the ear follows up and down as if each speech in a, is an arrangement of notes that will never be played again. Fuck. You know? Yeah. In, in a way, though, I think that nearly sums up Daisy's character that, as you said, Smith, she's a catalyst and all that. But I, obviously, when the book was written, to me anyway, she's kind of like, how do I say this without sounding horrifically chauvinistic? But I nearly think it's written in a chauvinistic fashion that she's she's almost portrayed as the item and she's gorgeous and lovely and wonderful but she's for the men to fight over sort of thing she ends up just going along with what tom wants to do and um, she doesn't seem to there's that kind of hint that she almost makes a decision herself but sometimes yeah she's kind of portrayed as a bit frail maybe a bit weak or whatever she does i think the line she says about her own daughter pammy where she says the best thing someone can be in this world a woman can be is a beautiful fool like that always makes me think every time i read it like how self-aware was she of her role in the society and but she's also complicit in a lot of things, I think. Like, I know she's so, be- like, she's this beautiful, desirable woman or whatever, and they're all kind of fawning for attention. But, like, she kills someone in a hit and run. She kind of allows Tom to carry on like he does, puts up with all his affairs and everything, has her own, like, has the affair with Gatsby herself. She also told Gatsby she'd wait for him to come back and didn't, like, got engaged when he was gone. It's like, uh, I don't know if anyone's ever seen Legends of the Fall or read the book, but, like, like Brad Pitt's character in that Tristan I think runs off to like explore the world and the woman he's in love with says I'll wait forever for you and then he comes back and she's married his brother and she says forever turned out to be too long it's kind of like that I think with uh, with Daisy I find myself you know at the start of the book and with the descriptions that we were talking about there for like you know she is so alluring and you know beautiful and you really get that sense for but as the book went on like I kind of grew a bit of a the stays her like she's so it's it's very very well done but she's so self-absorbed like and she's like to the point where she's inconsiderate to literally everyone else like everyone else's everyone else's struggles or thoughts or desires like and she's flippant with them like you know it was the opposite of she grew on me like I, I kind of disliked her towards the end it's kind of interesting I think she kind of reflects that whole what you want versus what you get dynamic too because I think like obviously Gatsby has built her up in his head to be this kind of the thing that he wants more than everything else and despite the fact that he has all this money and status and whatever that she's still the thing that he wants over anything else whereas Tom Buchanan probably to some extent might have thought of that thought that when he married her but now he's sick of her and is having an affair and stuff so like you know I think she's kind of a like personification of that whole concept too when Daisy does finally come over and they have the lunch and all that and they're reunited where Nick observes that like there must have been moments even that afternoon when Daisy tumbled short of his dreams not through her own fault but because of the colossal vitality of his illusion I thought that was just another part that was amazingly written like like the glamour and the like frivolity of it is really really clearly portrayed there but I, I went through a phase about 
10 years ago where it was like really I started like really trying to look into jazz and started really enjoying it like there was a pub down the road that did a the big band Mondays it was a free night like you used to go down and there was 16 piece brass band it was class but one of the things with jazz like it was kind of really really frowned upon when it kind of first surfaced and it was kind of it was black music at the time like you know and the fact that it was became mainstream and Gatsby thing it was it kind of added to the idea that this was a new careless age like that's that was kind of like the implication of it you know but you know I just thought that was really really interesting so obviously such a classic story it's been adapted many many times which I'm sure America have loads of stats on but actually interesting as the last time I saw this was in the Gate Theatre in Dublin they did that immersive theatre show where everyone was in character and you walked in there was no seats or anything and it was like a bar and the drinks were called like the green light and everything was themed and it was brilliant like the actors acted all around you and like dragged you into the story like for example when Myrtle gets hit by the car and like Gatsby grab uh, I went with my friends Dickie and Adam to and he grabbed three of us maybe two others into a small room and you're just in with Gatsby and he's talking to you like in character and everything for the whole thing brilliant right like everyone dressed up in suits people went to all out women had these incredible costumes and stuff uh, but it turned out afterwards that the person who played Gatsby was actually Paul Meskel from Normal People, which was, uh, when I watched the first episode of that, I was like, this guy looks awful familiar, I must look him up. And then, yeah, I realised I'd seen him like a year earlier, but he was brilliant as Jay Gatsby, he was absolutely fantastic. Interesting you say here about Paul Meskel in, in the theatre version, there's a load of actors that you wouldn't think, that you don't think are involved in the movies throughout the years, because like you, you naturally just think of, Gatsby like but there's things like Paul Rudd Paul Rudd is Nick Carraway in the 2000s but who knew that <laughs> you know there's five movies of them five movies of the Gatsby and the, there was one in 1926 so that was the year after the book was published and it obviously was a silent movie it was black and white and the tape has actually been lost you can't watch it now there's a one minute trailer you can see a one minute trailer on YouTube Apparently it was it was a bit shit. Like um, whenever Fitzgerald and um, is it Zelda you call the wife? Whenever they are watching the premiere, they got up and left in the middle of it. It was that poor of a portrayal. And then the 49 one, 1949, that was a bit. That was kind of the era of you know film noir or whatever you call it. Like it was, it was supposed to be quite good, but it it focused much more on like Gatsby and his criminal enterprises and, and things like that and it's not really an accurate portrayal of the book and then you're kind of into the big budget ones like 1974 and 2013 were the really big budget ones 1974 I watched that last night and it's just really interesting like the the era of movies that that was like things are very direct like a lot of the the dialogue is word for word what it is in the in the book the 74 is kind of Titled as the most loyal to the to the novel, which you know, I know I enjoyed it. I think it was kind of the kind of movie you enjoy after reading the book. Do you know, like I remember, remember I watched Tale of Two Cities after I read the book, which I absolutely love. But Lachine was watching it along with me, and she thought it was torture. Whereas I loved it because you know, it's that era of movie was just so direct. Like, but. There's a few interesting things about that 74 movie. Your man Robert Redford plays plays Gatsby and he's actually been in the Marvel movies recently. He was in, in Avengers Endgame. <laughs> the wee girl in the movie 
her she is played by a girl called Kenzit and she I can't remember her first name but anyway she used to go out with Liam Gallagher from Oasis and went on then to be in Emmerdale and Holiday City after such a promising start <laughs> the great Gillespie never mind the great Gillespie <laughs> Like the 2013 movie, like, I mean, uh, everyone has that and the scenery from that in their head. And I think when people think of Gatsby, they quite often think of uh, DiCaprio, you know, like it's so cinematic and it's so lurid and colourful. And I know that some, or sorry, critics of the, of the book would say that the 2013 movie is too over the top for, like, to convey the whole Gatsby thing. Like, that it's, you know, it really has all the pomp and all the energy and enthusiasm that really carried the movie and but they said it's too like it was too much for the book. I don't know. I really enjoyed it. Well I, I actually found though for it like stylistically it was incredibly different. But I think in terms of the the plot lines, it's pretty much the same. Like I don't think they really do too much outside of what happens in the book in the, the Baz Lerman film. But like it is, as you say, it's stylistically it's incredibly different because when you read the book first you get this notion of a kind of a fairly civilized kind of a well-to-do bunch of people that obviously that there's darker things going on in the background and, and that they're not maybe the same privately as they are in public. But you don't get this idea of this roaring 20s hedonistic sort of lifestyle that you do see in, in Baz Luhrmann's film. And I remember thinking when I watched the film, because I'd read the book first, that it was just a complete, it was completely not how I would have pictured a film of the book unfolding. Because there's so much focus on colour and on extravagance and stuff like that. But it is, I think it's, it's, you definitely don't, you're not as inclined to kind of think about the characters and to look at them in the same way that you would in the book. You don't get the same, you don't consider them to the same level of depth because of, I think, you know, it's very superficial and flashy. But it's good. It's, it's, it's kind of a, it's, an, it's a good film. I mean, you know, it, looks, it looks beautiful on screen and stuff, and it's, it's a different angle on it, certainly. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of what Fitzgerald is trying to do with the book, I don't think it's the same kind of project at all. Um, I haven't seen the other ones now, but I, ha- I do gather they're more subdued anyway in the way that they, that they tell the story. Like the music was a controversial thing from the 2013 one to not well, the jazz age, and there's no jazz in it, I suppose, or there's quite a hip-hop contemporary music but I think Baz Luhrmann himself said that was to like reflect that as you mentioned earlier Martin maybe jazz was seen as like quote-unquote black music kind of of the era and that was seen as outrageous and lurid and stuff so I guess he was going for the same angle with like hip-hop that's so big now I love I have to say I loved it 2013 film it's the only one I've seen as well but I think DiCaprio was perfect as Gatsby and Tobey Maguire is just like passive enough and like goofy enough to be Nick Carraway as well and it's believable and Daisy I think Kerry Mulligan's brilliant in that as well a lot of it was filmed in Sydney as well. And in Manly, where Oren and I live, the, the Gatsby Mansion's actually about five minutes away from us here. It's called St. Patrick's College. And I think Baz Luhrmann lives around here in Northern Beaches in Sydney. So he thought that was ideal to serve as like the, the base for the mansion. So yeah, they filmed a lot of it here. Just Smith, you mentioned there about music. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I think that's really interesting what you were saying about, um, about the soundtrack to the thir- 13 one. But all of the movies that have sound in them which well, I've only seen the 74 and the 13 one but I know it's in the 2000 as well they have a version of the charts and you know bum 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 my singing isn't great I won't be singing in the next version of it but <laughs> like the it's a even in that 2013 one Will I Am song Bang Bang it starts off with 
the Charleston Times. Actually, I suppose one interesting fact I had on Fitzgerald was that his cousin wrote the Star Spangled Banner or whatever you call the original version of the, the American National Anthem. Honestly, Martin, they need to hire you as a researcher for something like those kids must have the encyclopedic knowledge. It tastes like being taught by the Guinness Book of Records. <laughs> I actually do have all the Guinness World Book of Records in the class. <laughs> of course you do. Lads, I think we'll move on to our rate expectations. Marty, you're, uh, it's your first time reading the book, so I'm very keen to hear your, your rating and why. Yeah, um, like I said at the start, you know, I, I enjoyed the book. The most enjoyable aspect of it, and I, in fairness, like it is what it's known for, is like the the descriptions like it's so beautifully written and the in-depth descriptions really capture you like you really do become immersed in it uh in the story but um you know as as Franny was saying like it it is relatively unremarkable as a plot like you know um I do love the you know the imagery especially of Gatsby and his parties and his mansion I enjoy it but not uh I don't think I enjoyed it as much as you made it, Smith. So, like, I think I'm going to go with a seven. Um, that's just the level of enjoyment I, I got from it. I'm going to go with a seven out of ten. Debating what to give it. I'm going to go with a, a bold 8.5. I was, going to go for the, I was going to go for a nine, but I reckon I'd hold off. Um, as I said, I absolutely love this book. Um, I love it even more now, having had this chat about it and seeing different angles and different thoughts and that on it. And I'm actually, I'm half tempted to give another quick read to, to brush up on a few bits that I kind of miss and all that sort of thing. So I guess if I'm going to read a book more than once, it's it's going to be decent. But um, yeah, I could just read this book nonstop. So for that reason, I could go 8.5, but probably nearly give it a 10 if if I was willing to give anything a 10. Uh, yeah, I'd give it an 8 myself. I felt it was like a hugely enjoyable read and like as we're saying like stylistically and the way he wrote it it was really well done and it kind of captured a moment in time very well as well like you know you kind of you really get the sense that he was had been exposed to this world and that you were getting kind of like a snapshot of history from through through his eyes and he's such a capable writer that like you know that's such a worthwhile thing to do um yeah I suppose the story like I came to it and like it had obviously been said to me by numerous people that it was a classic and it was this great American novel and whatever and like Maybe to a certain extent, maybe I was kind of let down with the fact that it's not the most all-encompassing or the most incredible story or whatever that, that you'd ever see. But it's a tremendous book, and I've read it four times, so I suppose that kind of tells its own story. So, like, it is very enjoyable, yeah, but maybe it is kind of one of those ones where I wasn't quite sure exactly why it's considered a classic. So, yeah, an eight for me. I'm actually torn on my writing. Like, I'm tempted. I'm going to go a strong nine, I think. Like, it's as close for me as a 10 I know we always say like you, you wouldn't give anything a 10 maybe or you shouldn't but it's one of the best books I've ever read and like I've read it about five times and I enjoy it as much every time I think just a team it's like the story may be simple but it's in the telling that makes it so remarkable uh, I think every paragraph I found like I could highlight all day go through with like a pen and just it's so beautifully written and the characters are so rich and kind of nuanced as well I think the last page alone for me would give it a nine like how well it's written so yeah, for those reasons, it's a strong nine and definitely in my top three books ever. Right, so that leaves The Great Gatsby with an average rating of 8.1 from the lower hour panel. All right, lads, that's uh, 
a wrap on episode three with Craig Gatsby. Good high score for that. So we'll be back in two weeks with Andre Agassi's autobiography open. So looking forward to that. It'll be our first autobiography of the Lauro podcast. So we'll see you then. <laughs>